If you uh, took them and turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 18, as we work our way through this series from struggle to strength, our text will be found, I'll read in just a few moments in 1 Samuel chapter 18, uh, verse 6 down through verse 16. Wow, um, in Christ alone, uh, honey, that's to be played at my funeral, okay? Just remember that. On that cheery note, I welcome you to uh, Big Woods Bible Church. We are blessed, we are blessed um, in amazing and wonderful ways. Uh, just the day um, to wake up to um, the beauty of God's creation around us, uh, to gather like this, to lift up our voices in praise to the Lord. You do realize um, there are millions, literally millions upon millions of brothers and sisters in Christ that do not have the privilege of worshiping like this openly. Um, and that's why we have a set a Sunday aside to pray specifically for those who are being persecuted um, for taking a stand on the gospel and living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I remember it was in early, um, uh, early, early Sunday morning in 2014 when I received the call about the Grunewald family that is highlighted um, in your bulletin insert. Uh, both JP and Rode were students of our son Seth who was teaching in Kabul, Afghanistan. And to know that one day there's children that are playing and the next day, along with their father, have been murdered for one reason. For one reason, because they lived for and spoke for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, at this moment, we are blessed. We don't have the fear of people knocking our doors over and coming in. But may we remember those um, in areas um, of restricted access. I, I just think even now of our own Sharon Valerio who in a couple uh, days will be leaving for a restricted access country in Southeast Asia. We need to lift up our dear sister um, as she travels um, for the work of the gospel. And there is a brave and amazing young woman uh, that is willing to do that even amongst our own. Uh, so we have so much to be thankful for. Um, we, are, um, we are living with a single purpose. We have a single goal and objective today that we would invite the Holy Spirit to speak specifically to each one of our lives. And I believe that he speaks through the word of God primarily. I am humbled and, and privileged each week to open it up. And I, with trembling hands, literally with trembling hands, um, read and study and seek to offer this to you. And so my prayer in a moment is that it would be done in a way that would exalt the name of Jesus. And that God ultimately would be glorified from our time this morning. So let's go to the Lord first and foremost in prayer. Ask for his blessing uh, upon our time in the word this morning. <clears throat> Father, we are, we, are, we are most humble that you have given to us free access into your throne room because we come in the name and through the finished work of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that it is through Jesus that he took upon himself the weight um, of, of each of our own sin. Uh, he, he bore the wrath that, that we deserve. And we praise you first and foremost and thank you. 
We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you, sovereign creator, ruler, sustainer of everything and everyone. Father, as we have now a few moments before us to open up your word that we know in your word, it says that every word has been breathed, literally breathed by you, by you. We know, Lord, that it lives and endures forever. We know, Lord, that there's great authority and confidence as we seek to live our own lives in ways that exalt Jesus and glorify you. That we plead this morning for your help and for your spirit to descend upon us and speak to individual hearts that are here with a subject that every single one of us, every one of us struggle with. Competing and comparing questioning and wondering what you're doing with us and why we're here and how come you made us like this lord father our prayer is that we would move ourselves aside and that we would bask in your glory and presence and be reminded of your sovereign plan for every single person that is here and the way that you have made us and created us uniquely in your own image for your glory father it's challenging at times as we live in a world that is just flooded with distractions, uh, things to compare. And Father, we just pray, Lord, that we put all of those things aside and that we would hear from you. I, I just, Lord, plead that you give clarity of thought and mind and speech, that everything that is said and done would, would lift up the name of Jesus, exalt Jesus, edify and build this body of believers up, expand and extend the kingdom of God, and that, Lord, you'd, you'd ignite us to be the lights that you've called us to be, burning brightly, unashamed for the work of the gospel in Lock Haven and surrounding areas. We ask all of this now in the amazing and powerful and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. <clears throat> what I'd like to do is just back up a little tiny bit um, and kind of move forward from there. It's been two weeks, two weeks ago, we actually were introduced to a young shepherd boy, arguably one of the most well-known characters in all of Scripture. His name was David. Young David was chosen and anointed from a whole bunch of brothers at a very specific time for a very specific task. We know what? That... That he was smaller than the other brothers. He was younger than the other brothers. He was forgotten. But thankfully we learned that what? Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We know that. So it's not, it's not your body. It's not your beauty. It's not your brains or your brilliance that the Lord is looking for. He's looking for the condition of your heart. My job is not just to prepare you to make it through one more week. My job is to prepare you to meet your creator for all of eternity. Just last week we saw what? That this heart of David was revealed. After 40 days of this giant, this bully Goliath was taunting Israel. We know that this young shepherd boy, David, steps in, steps up, steps out before the enemy, and he clarifies as he shouts, this battle belongs to the Lord. And incredible, and we love these types of stories where David defeats Goliath. An incredible story of this young shepherd boy. But we learned we're not to say, wow, David, he is so amazing. 
I wish I could use a slingshot like he. No, no, that wasn't the theme. The theme is what? Not how amazing David was, but how amazing is the God that David served is. And we learned last week, just as David rescued Israel, there is also one hero. There is one champion. There is one victor. There is one head crusher, according to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, who rescued all of mankind from sin and death and destruction. And his name is Jesus. It's where we focus. Today we move on. Two weeks have gone. We move on. And I introduced to you the very first week this whole idea of struggle. From struggle to strength. You probably don't remember this, but I actually read to you the definition of the word struggle. I'm going to do that again, okay? So those of you that are brilliant, remember this. The definition of the word struggle means to contend with an adversary or opposing force. To contend resolutely with a task, a problem, to strive, the process or an act or instance of struggling, um, a war, a fight, conflict or contest of any kind. Now today what I want us to do is look at this narrative of David and we're going to move from this idea of struggle with the idea of success in mind. We actually struggle with success. I gave to you the definition of the word struggle. Let me give to you the definition of the word success. Here it is. The accomplishment of an aim or purpose. Victory. Triumph. The attainment of popularity or profit. Prosperity. Luxury. Comfort. Now this morning you hear that def definition, words like that. And some of you are thinking, I'm not... Pastor Tim, I'm not totally sure where you're going with this. A... I'm not having a lot of struggle with luxury and comfort and prosperity. Many of you would say, yeah, I'm not really struggling with that. And if I actually had luxury and prosperity and comfort, I probably wouldn't be struggling at all. So what's up with this whole idea of struggle with success? Let me begin by saying this. Every single one of us love to succeed. I have yet to meet anyone. I have spoken in jails and camps and hospitals and churches and schools. I have never ever met anyone who said, yes, I would like to grow up and be a failure in life. We love success. So you're thinking, what's the problem here? What's the struggle with success? Let me present this as we're going to see in our text. What happens if the success is not in your life, but rather it's in the person that's sitting next to you? What happens if the success is your little sister that, that somehow surpasses you somehow? What happens if success occurs in the life of your best friend? Or your neighbor. What happens if you work your tail off and the new guy at work gets promoted? What happens if the church never ever grows beyond 44 people and the church down the road, what? 
explodes in growth. What happens when your business adventure, your dream, your idea never gets off the ground and yet the kid who comes up with a new app just what? Flies into, into success. What happens is that there is a never-ending battle with the idea of success. If it never comes your way, there's something called jealousy that kind of works its way in. And if success does come our way, then what happens? People oftentimes allow it to go to their head and they lack humility. Thus the reason there is a constant struggle with success. We're going to see this in our text this morning. Let me draw your attention. First Samuel chapter 18. We pick up the narrative in verse 6. I'll read down through verse 16. See if you can pick out the characters here of those who are succeeding. <clears throat> those who are struggling with jealousy. Those who are demonstrating humility. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David... His ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe. <clears throat> excuse me, of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. We have before us two men, two men, Saul and David, who are in the midst of a struggle with success. One passes and one fails royally, F+. Plus. We know the what? First one, Saul appears at first glance to literally have it all. Earlier on, we read what? That he is described as being head and shoulders above everyone else. Saul looked the part. He was big, good looking. 
He was at this very moment king of Israel. He was wealthy, influential, powerful, and he had his own harp player. Some of you would say, yeah, I'm pretty successful. I bet you don't have your own harp player at home, do you? Hey, Alexa, play for me. No, 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 no. That's how successful this man is. But yet as he sits on his throne, he is literally, if we were to see it, like the sky last evening was turning green with envy. Jealousy at this young, up-and-coming, anointed one. As the other man, David, appears at first glance to be the exact opposite. He's the youngest. He's probably quite poor. He's working on his father's farm as a shepherd before he gets to be the king's harp player. He's not king, but he is described as a man after God's own heart. Just graciously and humbly, he's serving the king day after day after day. And yet he enjoys God's unique blessing on his life. There are seasons of success in all of our lives. And yet there are times and seasons that every single one of us would say, yeah, it's been a kind of a long dry spell here, hasn't it? There's, there's times and, and seasons of, of darkness and of valleys and of challenges and frustrations. Three points I want to give to you this morning. The first one is this. Saul shows insane jealousy when he's confronted with David's success. We see this in verses 6 through verse 10. So I think in all honesty, it probably begins almost immediately after David kills this giant Goliath. The setting here a little bit, the Philistines, after, after Goliath, what, falls, is dead, David cuts his head off with his own sword. The Philistines are literally chased away, and it talks about the fact that the Israelites are, are plundering and pillaging the Philistines' camp. I'd have never, I've never pillaged someone else's camp before, but for some reason it kind of just sounds fun digging through someone else's fridge because you know they're not going to bother you that's what the israelites are doing feet are up they got the grill grilling the ice machine their ice machine works ours never does they got their feet up they're singing they're laughing they're enjoying the moments and then maybe it was when David began that trek back into the city, bringing, and I know this is gross, forgive me, he's actually carrying the head of the ever-menacing enemy. We see that in chapter 17, verse 54, back into Jerusalem. Gruesome, I know, but in those days, a sign of victory. And what happens, and I think it's maybe at this moment, that, it, that the crowds begin to chant. And cheer. Women begin to sing. And the whole city begins to like come alive. It's loud. Lights go on. I can almost see King Saul who hears the music and he gets up to walk to the open window of his upper chambers. And he looks and he sees what? People playing trumpets and tambourines. 
crowds, throngs of people pressing, trying to get a glimpse of this young man, David. Maybe at this point, he's what? He's hoisted onto the shoulders of other soldiers. And Saul hears it. Saul hears this song that the beautiful women are singing. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. We don't know whether or not it was that processional. Maybe it was sometime after. Timing is rather indifferent here. We just know that at some point, David's reputation, young little shepherd boy David. His reputation and fame begins to spread throughout the country and all of the focus is on this young protege. All of the fuss. Something happens deep within the heart of Saul that actually happens deep within our own hearts on many occasions as well. You see, Saul actually started well. He was anointed by the prophet Samuel to lead the entire nation. We know that it says in chapter 10, verse 10, that the spirit of God rushed upon him. Another translation says the spirit was mightily upon him. On the day, which people don't realize that Saul was, was um, his coronation to become king, he was actually so humble that he wanted to stay hidden. He didn't want to come out into the crowds. In a sense, he displayed humility out of the gates. It didn't last long. For some reason, he, he began to feel that the nation Israel was his kingdom. And he forgot the fact that actually... It belonged to God. Saul, becoming jealous, feels threatened. He's obsessed with a paranoid fear. And jealousy burns within his heart. Even to the point that we know it's, it's murderous rage. On more than one occasion, he literally is throwing a spear. Saul, a seasoned soldier, is throwing and hurling a spear. At David. And it actually describes him. And I know that there's a question here. A harmful spirit from God rushed upon him. We just read that. What is that about? Like God is love. A harmful spirit from God. Just notice the order of this. Notice that that phrase comes after the description that Saul already was very angry. It comes after the description that what saw I, David, in verse 8. A sinful, unrepentant attitude always, always, always leads to destruction. I think that's what Saul was displaying. A sinful, unrepentant attitude. I think in all honesty, it's very similar. If we go to Romans chapter 1, three times you read the same phrase. For those that were living in complete disobedience, that God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. Another translation says God actually just turned them over to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. I think that's the picture of what's happening here. Be assured that God is sovereign, there's no doubt. But if you choose to live in a way of continued sin... You can be assured that separation from a holy God will exist. If you choose to live in insane jealousy towards someone who's succeeding and you are not. You will not be. You will not be in close intimate fellowship. But separation 
from a holy God will exist. Ever happened to you? Ever been in a place where you're watching other people succeed, surpass you? I think in all honesty, one of the most painful things that we can ever, ever do is live in the shadow of someone else's success. We've all been there. It's called the disease of green envy. Our world, our world is based on what? You comparing your life to someone else. Thus the fuss of, oh, if we could travel like that family, if we could be as beautiful as that family, if we could take pictures of our, our meals just don't look as good as those meals look. It's a world of envy around us. Erwin Lutzer writes this, there's a little bit of saw in every human heart. Gene Edward, in his book, A Tale of Three Kings, writes, Saul is in your bloodstream, in the marrow of your bones. He makes up the very flesh and muscle of your heart. He is mixed into your soul. He inhabits the nuclei of your atoms. King Saul is one with you. People, let me assure you, where there is envy, there is every evil work. Let me say that again. Where you allow envy to exist, there is every evil work. If, if, if you do not confess, if you do not forsake the sin of envy, envy, we find it impossible to please God. We find it impossible to trust God. How dangerous of a place it is. How destructive of a place. So important is this subject. It what? It cracks the top 10. Exodus chapter 20. What? Thou shalt not covet. Much of our life is living in trying to compare ourselves to be just like someone else as opposed to accepting the person that God has uniquely designed and created you to be. <clears throat> Ever watch another succeed? How, how do you feel? How, how did you do with that? Oh, I'm so happy for you. It just seems to be your life is going so well. It says in scripture to rejoice with those who rejoice. And I am just so excited. When will be your promotion party? Maybe I can bring you a gift that I really can't afford. Whatever it is. How have you done? You realize that when envy and jealousy are present, we're actually choosing, we're choosing to not give God the glory that he deserves. When you choose to live in envy, longing and desiring to be like someone else, you are what? You're questioning the sovereignty of God in, in how he has made you and formed you. You're questioning God's sovereignty with where he has placed you in life at this very moment. Jesus himself asked this question in John chapter 5 verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? He says, do not seek the glory and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. In all honesty, in all honesty, many of us 
are more concerned about impressing other people than we are about impressing God himself. Let me say that again. Many of us live with more of a concern on the outward appearance to impress those around us than live what? With an inward focus, preparing for eternity, pressing a holy God. You will never accomplish what God has designed and intended for you to accomplish if you are pining away, asking the question, why me? You know, Saul, in a sense, fails the test. Number two, secondly, David. David shows sincere humility while experiencing success. Number two, David shows sincere humility while experiencing success. I just love this phrase that's described what the David was playing the lyre. The lyre is just a small harp. It's like the, the, the mobile one. You don't travel real well with a giant harp. Day by day, day after day, he's doing the same thing that his goal, what? Now, now he is to come into the king's chambers and he is to relax and soothe the king by playing, using his gifts for what? Just the pleasure of someone else. But it says in verse 12, the Lord was with him. It says in verse 14 that David had success in all of his undertakings. It says in verse 16, for all Israel and all Judah loved David. So there's really another side of the coin here when it comes to success. Perhaps just as dangerous and destructive as seething after someone else, being envious of someone else because you don't have success that they, you think they have. The other side of the coin is what? If you at some level do succeed in life, and, and many of you have, that automatically, automatically, it begins to cause... Proverbs says that pride goes before a fall. And there's a lack of humility that you, you feel that you determine and dictate other people should look at you and be impressed by you. And success in all honesty, and we have read story after story after story, can do weird things to people. I mean, as simple as you, you receive an incentive because you have done something well, a, a letter of commendation, a, a medal, a trophy. I have visited people's homes and they have shown me their table tennis um, championship trophy from 1984. And it's like still on their shelf. I heard somewhere, I don't know where, I don't know where, that they actually, a church actually awarded the, their own pastor with being the most humble pastor in all of the community they gave him a medal and he actually wore the medal to church they took it away from him after that i don't know if that's true or not who would have like what are you thinking it doesn't take much you ever hear people cheer your name before you ever ever have the introduction and then you stand up to walk. And there is something, there's something inside of all of us that says, they're all looking at me. And it does, it does weird things for people. 
And what's interesting here is that David seems to absorb this and actually what deflect this back to God. He had success in all of his undertakings. I've heard that as a verse that is used with the whole prosperity theology. Like just, just all you have to do is kill a giant. All you have to do is really good, be good with a harp and you will have success in all. So the prosperity theology says, wow, don't forget while he's doing this, there's still somebody that's trying to kill him, okay? There's still somebody that's hurling spears at him while he's enjoying success with, with everything that he's done. Someone still wants him dead, so the whole, like, your best life now, that wouldn't work real well with the prosperity theology. First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 9 records, and David became greater and greater. But see, you can write this down. In First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 9, it records David became greater and greater because the Lord of hosts was with him. You see, David lived in a way not to bring glory to himself. He lived in a way to bring glory to God and God alone. David, eventually what we know that he ascends to the throne. Doesn't happen immediately. About 10 years, as a matter of fact, where he's hiding from, from ravenous Saul. But David ascends to the throne. He leads his nation, Israel, God's chosen people, to the very golden age, the pinnacle. We know that it was David's own son, Solomon, that was chosen to build the temple. It represents the very presence of God. Now, why was it, why was it that God chose this little shepherd boy, forgotten on the back 40, shepherding, watching, caring for his dad's sheep? Why is it that God chose him? Let me make it very clear. God had a plan for his life. God had a plan for David's life. Just like, and hear me, just like God has a plan for your life. It may not be to ascend to the throne of an entire country. But I tell you what, you serve. You've been called to follow the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I am grateful for David's example that shows us what true humility looks like. Why? Thirdly and finally, because it's humility, not jealousy that leads people to the gospel of Jesus. We struggle with wanting to be like someone else. We struggle with jealousy. It will never, it will never lead people to the gospel. Humility, as David demonstrates, simply accepting and receiving whatever God has for your life and offering it back to him for his glory, that is what directs people to the one that we're concerned about everyone knowing, and that's Jesus and Jesus himself. Remember this, success is God's choice, not yours. Success is God's choice, not yours. Long before David, long before David ever was what? A sparkle in his mother's eye. Years before, God spoke to one of David's ancestors, Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, and God says this, and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Thankfully, we know that God did bless. God did bless Abraham's family. 
God did bless what? His son Isaac and his son Jacob with 12 sons, or Israel as his name was changed to. And one of those sons was Judah. And it was through Judah's line that what? David was born. And it was through David's line that what? Everything was being perfectly planned for the Messiah Jesus to be born. And it was through his line that what? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, David understood where God had placed him and the role that he had to be faithful to the work that God had called him to do, even in what? His insignificance from looking on the outside. Because he was the one that God used to bring literally, literally the Savior to the world. We did a series for a number of months in the book of Philippians. Let me remind you what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi when he says what? After we have this idea of the word became flesh, Jesus, God himself, arrived here in the flesh of a man, dwelt among us. Paul describes Jesus like this in Philippians chapter 2. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is, in, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. Listen to this. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. To the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, the way that we lead people today to the gospel of Jesus is by living exactly the way that Jesus Christ lived. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. You see, it's, it's pretty hard to be jealous for someone else's life if you're more concerned about their own interest than your own. Um, I love this story. I, I have been blessed over the last several years by the ministry of a very well-known um, pastor. His name is Matt Chandler. Many of you know who Matt Chandler is. I had the privilege as well as the other pastors to sit under uh, Pastor Chandler's teaching on numerous occasions. God has just uniquely anointed and blessed Matt Chandler. And there was an article that I, sh I read and I want to share with you quickly in, in closing. It's written by a, a guy whose name is Steve Besner. And Steve is the senior pastor of Houston Northwest Church. And he writes this. Now just read what he writes. He says that he writes about two young men who were friends, roommates and pastors. Steve says this. In other words, this is a story about jealousy. In the mid-1990s, I was a student at Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene, Texas. And I was a successful student with a successful grade point average. I was leading a large college ministry. I was simply put on the fast track to success in the field of my choice, pastoral ministry. My sophomore year, a student transferred in who captured the attention and imagination of much of the student body. His name was Matt Chandler. Matt had a natural ease about him. He was confident and funny. He immediately commanded a room when he entered. And he too was studying the school of theology. 
We attended class and we attended church together. And I liked him from the very moment I met him. Our junior year, we decided to rent an apartment together. We had different social circles, but many evenings we ate together. We watched television. We discussed theology, played practical jokes on one another, and watched the massive thunderheads roll across the West Texas Plains. It was an idyllic time. During our student years, a weekly college Bible study met where students from all over the city would gather on Thursday nights for prayer, worship, and a time of preaching. The study was growing, and there was word that the pastor was looking to hand off leadership, and I hoped that they would choose me. After all, I was a great student and a decent communicator. Instead, they chose Matt. And that's when the jealousy began. The weekly Bible study swelled in attendance to approximately 2,000 students. Matt was receiving invitations to speak all over West Texas. In one story that almost became legend amongst our apartment was that a man sold him a car for the incredible price of $1. He was becoming the local spiritual authority and he was in his early 20s. And I was amazed that God's blessing on Matt's life. And I badly wanted it for myself. To add insult to injury, I was now known around campus and around town by a new label, Matt Chandler's roommate. In case you don't already know Matt's story, his meteoric rise in ministry only continued. His speaking engagements reached higher heights. And when he became the pastor of First Baptist Church in Highland Village, Texas... From my limited vantage point, it was as if his church, now named the Village Church, grew from 150 to 1,500 to a billion almost overnight. I say my limited vantage point because I was serving on staff at a church in rural East Texas. I loved it. To be honest, it fit who the Lord had made me, but it wasn't a place to be noticed. It wasn't the Village and I wasn't a success. As if he couldn't rise any further, Matt was diagnosed with brain cancer. It soon seemed that everywhere I looked, Matt was there preaching with a bald scalp and a pronounced cranial scar, testifying to the goodness of God. While all the truly saved Christians listened with delight, I found myself in the ridiculous position of envying a cancer patient. He may have had brain cancer, but I was the one who was sick. In the midst of my secret jealousy, Matt remained my friend. He encouraged me. He prayed for me. That's the thing. Matt's the real deal. He's not different from the pastor on the platform. He truly loves the Lord that much. And so finally, one day, when we were talking on the phone, I told him. I told him I was jealous of him. And I told him that I wished I had the life that he had. I'll never forget what he said, although he may not remember it. It was probably just another conversation to him, but it was life-changing and transformative for me. That's funny, he said, because there's days when I envy you. He continued talking after that, but I don't remember what he said. He was explaining something about the pace of life and ministry. Matt's days were just like mine. 
He was leading a church just like mine. It had warts, it had wins, losses, the sheep, and the, and the spirit. He could wistfully hope for another ministry days because his days were hard too, just like mine. And just like that, the Lord used my willingness to confess and Matt's gracious words to change my heart. Most spiritual disease takes longer to root out. But mercifully, this one, the Lord chose to kill dead in the moment. The past eight years or so have been entirely different. I now get to root for, freely, for my friend to succeed in ministry. And I praise God that in his sovereign wisdom, he chose Matt to be a powerful voice for the grace of God in Jesus in our world. And he concludes with what? James chapter 3, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 3 says, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh behaving only in a human way? You know, I was touched by that story because I think it really resonates in the lives of all of us. And we watch someone else and we're questioning God's sovereignty. Four things very, very quickly. Number one, know that God does not make mistakes with how he made you and where God has placed you. Okay, God is perfectly sovereign. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You were knit together in your mother's womb for a purpose that only you can accomplish. God does not make mistakes and be encouraged by that. Know as well that what? Both success and failure can actually bring glory to God. And that is to be our single focus. To lose and still give God the glory, I believe, is what the Lord's looking for in our own heart. It demonstrates humility. Fourth, thirdly, strive to be more concerned about others than yourself. Philippians chapter 2. That's really what we need to focus on. Strive to be more concerned about celebrating the successes of other people than pining over the fact that they're not yours. And then fourthly, what? Strive to think like Jesus. Think and serve like Jesus served. And very quickly, just as we listen to in this one testimony, God can immediately take, immediately take that away. So as we close um, this morning, I would ask you, even as we are singing our final song together, you know in your own heart. I, I don't know your hearts. I can't see in your hearts. The Lord can. David says, see if there be any wicked way in me. Search me, O God, and know me. And at this very moment, this morning, I would ask you, as your pastor upon the authority of the word of God, to confess your jealousy to the Lord and to repent, to turn from that. Say, Lord, forgive me for competing. Forgive me for comparing. Forgive me for complaining. And maybe after you confess to the Lord, maybe you need to go to the other person and you need to say, I need to ask for your forgiveness because I've been jealous of you. That's when we what together before the Lord. But at the cross, we're all equal. No one has the corner market here of holiness and righteousness. But we be, 
begin to become real with one another. And God blesses that. The name of Jesus is exalted. The gospel goes forward. The kingdom is expanded. And most importantly, God is glorified. May that be the type of church that we are. Father, we love you. We thank you for this example that's given to us from scripture of David and Saul. And I just pray, Lord, that each one of us now would listen and be sensitive to your spirit. That we would be people that are humble. Truly humble. Understanding and accepting how you and your sovereignty made us and where you've placed us. Help us, Lord, to be real. Real with one another. God, give us strength that is beyond us. If we need to confess areas of our life where jealousy and envy and coveting exist, help us to be empowered by you to live a life of repentance from that. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.